Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Graham Couch here from the Lansing State Journal, along with my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, amid a busy week and a, um, an, an anticipation-filled week as well, not only for Mel Tucker's contract and whatever is, you know, whenever that's finalized here, but also the game of the year to this point, Michigan State at Ohio State Saturday, noon kickoff in Columbus. Chris and I will be there uh, for a game that I think just sensing among the fan base is a sort of uh, get it on already type game and um, a lot of sort of nervous energy and hope. Chris, is that your sense of, of this, this matchup? Yeah, I think we're just at that point. Um, you know, we had three weeks of basically build up to the Michigan game, um, which I think was partly what, what heightened that on top of the, the fact that fans are back. This is this has been a game since then, though, that everybody has looked forward to. And and you're right. I think it is just a matter of get the Saturday, get the game going, and let's see how it plays out. I think that it, it's going to be really interesting to see where everyone's head is. Um, you know, obviously, the, the Tucker contract situation is uh, a thing that's probably, you know, it, I don't want to say that's definitely not a distraction, but it's certainly something that's occupying time and space right now. And, you know, that's on both ends of it, because I do think that, you know, it is, as Ryan Day looks at it, and I talked to Kirk Herbstreet today, um, I guarantee you Ryan Day and other coaches and their agents around the country are looking at Mel Tucker's contract. And, and it's probably been a little disruptive to some other people's weeks seeing that. I'm with you on, you know, I don't think it'll be a hugely distract. I mean, Michigan State's done a good job all year of remaining focused. The game is so, so huge. I'm sure this is largely between Tucker's, you know, agents and, but, but it is a, it is a contract situation that'll send reverberations because certainly for the amount of money it is at a place like Michigan State, which has never committed this source of re, this sort of resources before, it's going to lead a lot of schools to say, you know, a lot of coaches who have had some success to say, you know, what am I worth? But, you know, the thing is, uh, what Mel Tucker has that a lot of people don't is leverage, right? And he has the market. I mean, it, this isn't just about what you deserve. It's about what you're worth. And, you know, I mean, it is only year two for him. And, and you, you can make an argument that there's no way that only Nick Saban should be making more money than him, even if that some other right. things will shift. But uh, the bottom line is the market is what the market is. And he's a He's a hot coach with schools potentially that have a lot of money interested in him. And Michigan State has, you know, donors are like fans, right? I mean, they get caught up in this energy and this buzz, and, and they want this to – I think Michigan State's a place that's desperately always wanted uh, to try to take that next step. And, and now they have some people with the means who are willing to put their cash behind it. And, 
you know, if other schools have it, they have it. But it, it, the market's what this you know, is, is what drives us and, and, and is leverage is what drives us. You know, it, it, they are fans. I mean, they just happen to be fans with millions and billions of dollars in some cases that can throw it around wantonly to, to their passions. And obviously, particularly Matt Ishby of Michigan State's his passion, and he wants to see him succeed. I do wonder, because, you know, we talk about the leverage, but I'm also wondering about the timing in the school, if that played a bit of a factor in all of this as well, because I do know that, you know, there was a sense of history possibly repeating itself when Nick Saban left Michigan State for LSU. And I don't think people wanted that to happen, particularly in hindsight, obviously, looking back at what could have been with Nick Saban and seeing the success that he went on to. No one's saying that Nick Saban could have done that at Michigan State or that he wouldn't have left eventually for the NFL like he did at LSU. And there's no telling if Tucker would possibly do the same. But at the same point, you, you also don't want to lose out on the potential to build on what you have right now, build on what Mark D'Antonio constructed with this program. And, and really, I, I think when, when Tucker went on with Draymond Green on Thursday or Wednesday, whenever it was, and he echoed exactly what Mark D'Antonio said, that Michigan State is a destination. I think I don't remember if it was the, the Texas rumors or whatever it was. Uh, at one point, he said almost those exact words. And you can tell that Mel Tucker believes that he can win a national title at Michigan State. And now he's seeing the resources being pumped into it. So it's kind of a paradigm-shifting moment for Michigan State and potentially for college sports. So a couple quick, quick things real quick. By the way, I didn't introduce this. This is the Spartan Speak podcast <laughs> at the beginning. Chris and I just jumped on. <laughs> Usually we have Phil Friend to do the work. If you don't think this job is glamorous, Phil Friend is covering a uh, local tennis tournament that, that got pushed deep into the, the evening. So he he, he was out, out out tonight, and that's that's why he, he is missing. And Chris is somewhere between Indianapolis and Columbus on the road. Ohio, the home of Travis Trice. Absolutely, and and I just just got home a few minutes ago, and am, am waiting for a, a plumber to deal with a situation in the basement that's really unpleasant. So that's where our lives are right now. But <laughs> to, to your to your point, Chris, I, I think there are a couple things you said that are interesting. One, Matt Ishbia was at MSU as a student on that basketball team that was at North Carolina wow. when uh, Tom when uh, Nick Saban left. Right. And 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 um or, and when the whole thing went down and Nick Saban wound up going to LSU, he he probably has a pretty firsthand memory of what that felt like on campus as a student. And and so I do think there's there's you know part of what you're paying for is that is not only the dream that you, you feel alive, but it's the the opportunity it's to not it's to not deal with the regret that maybe people dealt with with Nick Saban you know, years, years ago. And so I think that's a big part of it. And, and, and as for Mel Tucker, there are, you know, maybe there are some parallels, maybe Mel Tucker. I don't know that people look at Mel Tucker the way uh, they do Tom Izzo or Mark D'Antonio as he became sort of a, a long timer. they look, but if you get, you know, if you get five more years out of Mel Tucker and he's building it and he sustains it the way it looks early, then that's, that's got great value. And, and you figure it out then, but you've done, you know, you've taken another step and maybe there's an assistant on the staff by then, or there's not, or it's a, or it's a job that's a lot more uh, of a marquee job. And because, you know, you talk about a, uh, the idea of a destination job, you know, for every, for different people, a different job is a destination job for what's it, you know, I, I remember this really well said about, you know, it was, uh, I think it was the Bruce Weber and, and, and Bill Self of Kansas and Illinois, you know, for, 
Illinois was never a destination job for Bill Self, but it was for Bruce Weber, right? Different people see jobs differently, and we don't exactly know 100% what Mel Tucker feels, but Michigan State's putting enough money out there to give him time to feel it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's for sure, and give him the option to, to, to feel it. And, uh, and, I, and I look, I, I don't think they have – it's not that they don't have a choice – but if you if you don't, I knew I know for a while they've wanted to, to to put something together. They've wanted to fight to keep him. The thing that is is you know most impressive to me though, or most surprising to me is is the, is the total sum. I'll be honest when 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 that number came out and and uh, and you guys confirmed that Chris and, and and got that number. That was surprising to me, right? I mean I I um wow. I, I I thought you know above nine. I mean I, I had heard nine. I'd heard maybe nine, and I thought when they said nine, we'd wind up seeing something eight, which is still an enormous amount of money. Uh, to get to nine and a half million to be just that shy of Saban and, and ahead of everybody else is uh, is pretty amazing. It really is, and I mean it. You know, one of the things I think that that does is, first of all, it tells Tucker that Michigan State and those those donors are committed to changing the facilities to to building a winning championship program and giving him all the things that he needs to for it. And two, I think it says that if Mel Tucker leaves or if Mel Tucker were to happen to turn it down, which at this point, I don't believe it's, that's the case. I, I think that says something to other potential coaching candidates in the future that Michigan state isn't going to just sit back and settle for a coach that it doesn't, it, that it, it just kind of settles on it. You know, maybe it's partly with the situation with fickle, uh, and, and the way that went down, but they're telling other coaches around the country that no, they're, they're saying, we're going to pay, we're going to give you what you need to build a winner. And we are a championship level program. Um, and we want to sustain that, you know, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people have, have talked about Tucker's record with the amount of money given and everything, but he's changed the, the dynamics, the energy of the program, the recruiting, uh, the buzz that, that he's built has, has really uh, proliferated the, the campus, the, the community, the state, the country with football recruits. Um, but he, he's also done a really good job of putting out a product and showing he can navigate the new world with NIL and transfer portal and everything. So I think that's where a lot of this comes from. And, and, and quite frankly, that's, that's what's going to be needed moving forward. Uh, with the way everything has changed throughout college football and college sports, you need people in those leadership positions that embrace and understand that. And he certainly has. I agree. I mean, he, he's done something quickly that, and, and, you know, I always thought that Michigan state had the, like people have always talked about the, the money for a, a basketball coach or the next hire. And, you know, and I've never thought, I, I've thought football was the place that you might see donors really throw their money. Now Ishbia changes the equation. His, his you know, becoming a billionaire, right, is, 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 is changed some things. But even when it was Peter Secchi money back in the day, and because MSU never did this for Mark D'Antonio, they were always, you know, a little under the market. And they, they won for a long time because of the loyalty of that staff. D'Antonio was a little older, his wife liked the area, all that stuff. But, but I, I've always thought that the place that MSU was more desperate for a winner was football. And if there was a place that donors would really speak up, it was football. And I, and I, th I do think you, you're seeing that here. And the great thing for Michigan State, and I get the money is absurd. I mean, it's, 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 I mean look, college football money is obscene for head coaches. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you're paying $9.5 million for a football coach. But, and it's double what Tom Izzo makes. But 
you know, this, this program, this football program also brings in three times the revenue of the basketball program. And, you know, it, it is um, how a football program that's winning makes people feel on campus around the school. And the fact that it's not university money. I mean, this is basically you're, you're, if you're MSU, you're getting the ability to compete, to keep your coach without spending an extra dime because boosters have come in and, and done that. You know, this isn't, now, somebody can argue the optics aren't great, and, and maybe boosters should also chip in other places where money is needed, be it in the university or, or wherever. But we, we've always sort of made that bargain with ourselves, right? Our priorities are, you know, what, what do we pay? EMTs, like $13 an hour. I don't know what an EMT makes, but you know what I mean? Like, it seems like that should be a really important position in this world. And we, we, we've never had everything completely in whack over certain values. And football, college football coaches, because of our love for alma mater, and the money they bring into universities and being the front porch of everything, they are massively important to people. And it, it sort of is what it is. No question. And, you know, that's not saying that these guys aren't doing that either, you know, yep. helping in other areas. And, and again, you got to understand this is what I think is real interesting about this is this is new donor money. Um, this is young donor money, um, you know, which to me, you know, when you're talking about, the, you know, 25, 30 years uh, of guys like this now, I mean, that Michigan State has needed that. And, you know, we talk about the, I mean, the university, not the athletic department, the university completed a billion dollar capital campaign within the last few years. That's a lot of money, right? And that was to endow things. It was to go to other areas of academic support and whatnot. So listen, Michigan State's not what you would say a, a uh, small school in terms of the, the monetary aspect. It just but, isn't. They're just, they just happen to be in a conference with a couple other ones that, that make significantly more. And what they're doing right now is basically saying Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, Penn State, we're, gonna, we're coming after you from a financial standpoint now as well. Yeah, D'Antonio used to always talk about the need for apples to apples, and then it became about people. But you have to at least – be on an even par. Speaking of D'Antonio, he was somebody who, I mean, obviously what he did in the Michigan rivalry was uh, immense, but also his, arguably his two signature wins um, other than, you know, the Stanford Rose Bowl moment are the, the game in 2013 in the big 10 championship against the Ohio state and the Ohio state win in Columbus in 2015. And so let, let, let's turn it to this week's game, Michigan state, a 19 point underdog in Columbus you know, I, I have a hard Stop time. You've heard that before, right? Yeah, well, yeah, not to this extent, though. I think they were a 13-point dog in 17. And I think our maybe was 15. And I, right. and I can't remember what they were in 17. But this is this is pretty high. Um, and I want to say I can't picture them uh, winning in certain ways. But I couldn't picture them winning in 2015. I'm not sure I believed they would win in 2013. Right. I'm not sure I thought they could keep the game close in 2016. I definitely didn't think they could keep the game close as they did as long as they did in 2018. In 2019, for a quarter and a half, they were they played Ohio State better than anybody did all season. So I, I have been wrong about this matchup and MSU's ability to play the Buckeyes many times before. Look, this is an Ohio State team that can put 50 on Michigan State. I don't think there's any question. I don't think it's a Michigan State team that can put 50 on Ohio State. But that doesn't mean it's going to be that game. Like if Ohio state is imperfect as they've been before and Michigan state is pretty dang good, the best version of itself, this could be, this could still be a game. Yeah. And I mean, it is a Michigan state team that could potentially put up 40 on Ohio state, but the ellipses, we've also seen this team put up three down in Columbus. 
when you thought that they would be a little more competitive than they did and got absolutely drummed in, in 2017 when they went down there in the exact similar circumstances, surprise for the big 10 race into November uh, coming off the three and nine season, like a lot of young players that hadn't really experienced the horseshoe. And, and there are a few guys still who are on that 17 team that have started, you know, guys like Connor Hayward played in that game. And Luke Campbell has been a, a real vocal guy this week for the team. And, Kevin Jarvis, Matt Allen, Jacob Panishu, Drew Beasy, all those guys played in that game. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything right now. I do think, though, that Ohio State is a younger team. And, and some of these guys were obviously in this boat last year, but some of them haven't been. Guys like Stroud and, and Travion Henderson have not experienced a November championship football at its, at its pinnacle. And, uh, you know, ultimately that's what Michigan State hopes this game can become. You know, and, and listening to Kirk Herbstreit today kind of talk about it, he was reminiscing. Uh, he said he was in, in Alabama earlier this week with Nick Saban, and, and Saban asked him, where are you going this week? And he said, uh, Ohio State for the Michigan State game. And Saban kind of smirked and said, yeah, 1998. No one expected them to go in there and win that game. But same with, you know, 2011 and 2013 in Columbus and 2015 down there. But no team in the Big Ten has beaten Ohio State since 2011 more than Michigan State, and that that does history does kind of hold for some things on that. You know, and I think this game, in some ways, I mean, I understand the parallels to 2017, but I, I that 2017 did, team did not have an offense like this. You know, they had kind of they had no. won some bad weather games, and they had won a lot. You know, they not they didn't have a Kenneth Walker. Their their uh, their line did okay at times. You know, uh, Lewerke was not what, what Thorne has become. Their, their wideouts weren't, weren't uh, they, they just weren't this team offensively. And, and so I think that's got to be part of the hope. The, the 98 game, actually, you know, that team had NFL dudes, and that was sort of, even though that was a team that was like six and six, that yeah. sort of propelled that team the next year, knowing they could play with that. And this team probably has closer talent to that team in terms of some NFL guys here and there that can, that can you know, Kenneth Walker, is, is, as we saw against Michigan, he's a guy who can get his on any day. And they're, they're going to need that a little bit because Ohio State's going to try and take him away. And, you know, when you when you look at these matchups, when you, when they play somebody where you go, and, and, and I know that Nebraska really took him out of the game, so it's not that he can't be taken out, but you look at a game where you're watching the Michigan game, you're going, boy, you know, Michigan State doesn't have what they have on the defensive line. That's the problem. That's the difference in these programs. And then, boom, Kenneth Walker, 58 yards, hits him for another touchdown. It, you know, and wait a sec, Michigan doesn't have that guy. And he is become he is without question somebody who becomes an equalizer. Now Ohio State has a heck of a running back and Trevion Henderson themselves. Uh, they've got their own Heisman Trophy candidate and a quarterback. I, I do wonder though. I mean, and I, I think you know a lot of people think Michigan State needs to be different than they've been. I think Michigan State needs to be the best of what they've been, which is opportunistic on defense, timely with their pressure, and very good in the red zone, stout in the red zone. Because we've seen Ohio State. Penn State against Penn State, notably, uh, settle for field goals, and so they've got to create a couple turnovers. They've got to make Stroud, the quarterback, a little bit uncomfortable, and then they've also oh, absolutely got... that. Oh, go ahead. That's the big key. I was going to say that's the big key: make them uncomfortable. Because the one thing that Stroud likes to do is is throw those middle routes and let those receivers run after catch. You know, whether it be Olave, whether it be Smith, whether it be uh, Wilson whether he uses Rucker, whether he uses Henderson, that's been the problem for Michigan State. They've got a lot of weapons that hit you in the places that Michigan State has been the most vulnerable. 
it's not just the deep balls. It's the yards after catch that turn into deep passes. That's the problem that Michigan State runs into here, and that's got to be the thing that's, that's somehow solved by Scotty Hazleton and his scheme, you know, with, with cornerbacks that are banged up, and, you know, we don't know what the situation with Quiveris Crouch is. He's a guy with speed and space at linebacker that needs to be there, but he also needs to cover. Same with, same with uh, Cal Halliday or Noah Harvey, whoever's in there. Um, that, to me, is, is the big thing because – you know, this is this is an Ohio State passing attack that is dangerous, but it's not necessarily one that's going to bomb you over the top, and that's what Michigan State has been trying to prevent is and done a good job of preventing the deep balls, but not necessarily the big pass plays because it's been a lot of yards after catch. So that's kind of one of those strengths against weaknesses moments that you kind of look at. This will also be a real test of, you know, the coaching staff and scheme and things you've, you've saved or you still have even if you haven't saved, you have in your, your arsenal that you think you can pull out and yeah. surprise Ohio State. It'll be a test of Peyton Thorne and his development. And, you know, I thought Maryland was sort of a uh, – not a junior varsity Ohio State, maybe a freshman team Ohio State last week in the sense that, you know, they they, they, they took away Walker and forced the passing game without Jalen Naylor uh, to, to, to be effective in opening things up, and they were. And I thought Thorne was really good, and then the running game was – consistent knowing it was going to be tough sledding and then finally it broke open a little bit and so I thought there were there were formulas within that other than the two defensive series that were you know a couple of miserable defensive series um the one at the end of the first half where it was the worst prevent defense maybe I've ever seen but um but Michigan State got back to being uh opportunistic defensively you know with uh, the no Harvey pick and the goal line and the the turnovers created and, and, and the pressures and the timing of them. Like, I think that was an important game in a sense that they, they got back to who their identity has been a little bit and who they're going to have to be just at a much higher level to beat Ohio state. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference I think in this offense versus 2017 too, is it is a diverse offense. I mean, they're able to, to beat you with the run or beat you with the pass. They're able to beat you with a running back or the quarterback in the run game. Um, it's a very modernized attack. You know, it's going to be interesting to see about Naylor, too, because I do think that that speed and space, obviously, on the offensive side, makes them a different and more dynamic thing. But they've done some things with Malik Carr and, and Connor Hayward and Tyler Hunt, uh, using them a little more. We saw a little more from uh, getting Walker out of the backfield into the pass game last week. That could be a wrinkle that, that becomes a big thing. But again, this is an Ohio State defense that is having the same problems, giving up big passing yards. And, you know, it, that's up to Michigan State to not only do that, but I think they've only given up 17 passing touchdowns, but they got to be able to, to hit the end zone with Thorne to, to soften things up for Walker, just like we did see last week. All right, before we talk a little hoops, and um, we're going to keep this pretty tight tonight just because we both got stuff going on here. Um, the uh, Let's give our predictions. Uh, I, you know, I see something in the I, – I do think Michigan State has a good chance to cover, if that helps people. But I do see uh, Ohio State, you know, putting up some points. And, and, and I'm going to say it's like 47-31 Buckeyes. Where are you on in your prediction? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in that ballpark because um, I do think, you know, cover your ears, Mel Tucker, if you happen to be listening. I think this game will end up being a shootout regardless of whether he likes it or not. I just think that that's Michigan State's best chance in a lot of ways to because I do think you may not have the defensive bodies to keep up with them, but you do definitely have the offensive guys. Um, I've got it. Um, let's see. What do I have it? 48-35 Ohio okay. State. Because I just think they have a few too many playmakers 
uh, in that passing game. Michigan State hasn't faced this many weapons in on one team this year, and I don't know if they have the number of dudes on that side of the ball on defense to to stop all five of the weapons that they've got. And that's not even count. That's not even counting Stroud. That's counting all of his receivers and Henderson and. They still got Master Teague and, and the other guy who ran for over 100 yards last week. So there, there's just so many weapons that I just don't know if Michigan State has the depth right now on the defensive side to, to pull this one out. And I, and I do think, look, if, if it's 48-35 and, it, and they're not run off the field and they're not outclassed, as much as Michigan State wants to win this game, I think MSU fans could live with that result. I mean, maybe not embrace it, but could could live with it. Speaking of looking outclassed, and I, I stink at segues, but I like to try them anyway. Um we were both Wednesday night at Hinkle Fieldhouse, incredible environment, place I hope Michigan State plays many more times, certainly not once every 50 years, because Chris and I won't be around for the next 50 years, how does that happen? Well, I, I will say that Butler was a mid-major for 40 of those years, so I do understand, like, they don't travel to a lot of mid-majors, but I thought Michigan State, I don't know how good Butler's going to be, we'll wait and see, they got their point guard back for the first game, they weren't great last year, older team, I think they'll at least be you know, middle of the pack, Big East. But Michigan State did not look timid. They looked aggressive. And and the four guys that I think are essential to that team having a ceiling that keeps them in contention in the Big Ten and to play for stuff, which is Tyson Walker and, and Max Christie, Gabe Brown, and Marcus Bingham. All four played pretty well for the first time. Bingham and, and Christie especially. Um, you know, I, I just think if those four are like they were last night, Michigan State is going to be a a, a very tough out for teams and a, a team that's that's in play all year. Yeah, I was really impressed with Max Christie last night. Not, I think that that he showed every level that he can score at. The only thing he didn't do was play above the rim uh, in terms of throwing a dunk down, but he got to the rim and the speed that he had on a couple of those dribble drives. Um, was another gear that I don't know if we've seen many Michigan State guards have. Um, that that was really impressive. The shot started falling, um, which I think is huge from a motivation standpoint. Gabe Brown's second half, he had 11 points after going one of six from three in the first half was big. They still got to get Joey Hauser going. Um, he had a, a pretty atrocious night uh, again, and you know they need to get something out of that four spot with him and Hall. But Bingham, I mean, has anybody turned the corner like Marcus Bingham? I mean, he dunked on a dude or blocked a dude and and knocked the guy over and, who was yeah. significantly thicker than him it, and stared down deal. at him from his seven-foot frame. It's yeah. a big deal. I mean, there, was, there were a lot of moments in this game where you look and say, you can see the growth of this team. And I think that's that's the big thing is because these this next, you know, the trip to the Bahamas, and, you know, the Eastern game on Saturday, these are all growing moments to get into Big Ten play next month. And, you know, they need them. And, by the way, I, I, I think that somewhere uh, yesterday, whether he, you know, the outcome was he, what he wanted or not, Thomas Jackson is somewhere smiling. Yeah, from East Lansing grad, who was part of those Butler teams uh, in, in the early 2000s, along with Laval Jordan, the, the head coach that, that really – got that Butler program going yeah. in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, and uh, I once covered a Thomas Jackson game against either Loyola or UIC in a conference tournament where he had 15 assists, zero turnovers and zero points. So that was Thomas Jackson's game for you. <laughs> no, and look, I, I think Bingham to have three, you know, the three offensive rebounds he had all resulted in putbacks by him. You know, the, the strength he showed, yeah. the giving of his body, he showed he's become a presence 
that, you know, he and Gabe Brown and Gabe Brown looks like a guy who wants to be an alpha dog and whether, you know, whether he's capable of being a headlining scorer all year, I don't know. We'll find that out, but he, he looks fearless. And that's an example of guys from a class that's been much maligned that 2018 class uh, showing up in, 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 in big moments and developing. And, and we sometimes don't let guys uh, develop uh, anymore. It's just, it's part of what, um, you know, it's sort of the sad thing of the times. And I'm not saying that both these guys took a little time to get there, but in a year that MSU could use some great seniors and, 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 and leadership and, and punch from that class, those two guys seem to be giving it right now. Yeah. And, and I think that the next step, you know, like I said, with Hauser and Hall, they need more there. I think they also need more from Walker and Hogarth at point guard. We've seen, I think there are 20 turnovers in that game. They yeah. ended up in 17 points the other way. Um, that, that still remains a, an issue. It wasn't all of them. I mean, a lot of that was coming from the bigs too. But, but that's something that Michigan State needs to correct before going into Big Ten play because this isn't the kind of team that can withstand some of those things. You don't have a Cash Swinson. Uh, you don't have a Xavier Tillman. You don't have a Miles Bridges, those kind of massive, you know, overcome it by 35 points a night kind of guy. Um, so you need to, to start minimizing those turnovers soon because once you get into Big Ten play, you do that on the road at Minnesota, uh, we know how the barn gets, and that all of a sudden becomes a loss. So I think everybody's cognizant of that, including Tom Izzo. And obviously Max Christie's game yesterday, I mean, just, you know, that guy, the more he shoots and the, the timing of his two threes were really uh, deflating to Butler. And, and just, I mean, that guy is obviously, I think, you know, he, he changes MSU's ceiling as he gets – more and more comfortable. We'll have lots of time to talk about hoops. Um, uh, our attention is going to be pretty much be football. Uh, neither one of us will be at the Eastern Michigan game Saturday, just, just for the <laughs> fair warning. Um, yeah. But we will be in Columbus with uh, complete coverage at freak.com, lsj.com, uh, greenandwhite.com. Good stuff, man. I'll uh, safe travels and I'll, I'll see you in, uh, in Ohio on, on Saturday morning. Yep. Safe travels. And, uh, you know, sorry it's a short podcast, but. You know, we'll, we'll more than make up for it next week, I'm sure, between football and basketball. Thanksgiving Day podcast, right during dinner. That'll be us. Something something like that. My, uh, my wife would love that one. <laughs> All right. Have a great one. Uh, thanks for listening to Spartan Speak, uh, a, a production of US, the USA Today Network, uh, the Detroit Free Press, and Lansing State Journal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.